think we're on the way to women power being much bigger than it actually is. And I think eventually it will all settle back down in the middle where you'll be who you are and you'll voice how you feel and it'll be fine. Balcha, welcome to Connected Communication, a podcast exploring the intriguing interplay between language, culture and the brain, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine. On this week's episode, like my guest and I do a number of times throughout the episode, we segue away from teaching you how to construct stories, the different techniques that you can use to speak stories, how you can use poetry to speak stories, find the magic in your voice, towards asking you to now pay attention to the technique being applied. Now, I don't mean that Kira and I planned out and technically constructed all of the stories we tell each other throughout our conversation. Absolutely not. We had only ever spoken on group calls on Zoom before this conversation. But we're both Irish. So it's very natural for us to speak through story, to connect and to share. So if you've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks and you've heard the episodes on story construction, what I shared about how we build and develop stories in Ireland, and it applies to many other stories as well, try to hear what Kira and I do naturally to build interest and emotion and connection and imagery in the stories that we share each with each other. If you haven't listened to those episodes, it's up to you now. You can listen to this one and see what you pull out in terms of story technique and then maybe go back and confirm it for yourself if you're a person who likes to use a, a more guided discovery type, uh, type structure of learning. Or go back listen to what I said about the different techniques and the parts that we put into stories and then come back and listen to this one and see if you can hear what we do. A second thing I'd like to put to you, no obligation of course, is to, as you're listening to Kira and I converse and to some of what we both say and Kira share about the work that she's done with women, consider the stories that we tell ourselves. Think about the stories that you've been telling yourself over the past whatever number of years. The stories that you might be telling yourself still. And without breaking down in the middle of the street <laughs> or uh, in the middle of your office or anything like that, I don't want to put you in any sort of discon discontent wherever you are, but just try and take note of them. Consider whether they're your stories. Or they may be stories that have been constructed throughout your lifetime because of experience or the behaviours of others that maybe created a memorable mark. And whether or not you want to keep those stories moving forwards. I mean, our stories are always our stories. They stay part of us. I, I certainly know that. I was on a coaching call this evening. This thing called the subconscious code breaker that a very good friend of Kira's runs a guy called Lee Tony Ware and he peeled open another few layers or peeled off another few layers of my onion that I honestly had thought that I had peeled off already and what I refer to there is my stories the memorable marks that have been made on me throughout my life that I thought I had kind of dealt with and healed but when suddenly somebody says something you realize oh maybe that belief is still there or maybe that emotion is still there and I didn't really realise it was and I didn't connect it. And now I have an opportunity to consider what parts of that story I want to bring with me forwards and what parts I'm going to leave where they are probably worthy of staying in the past and change the shape of as I move forwards. So I won't say anything more. Other than to say to Kira, because I know you're listening to this, I didn't take out the part at the end where I made the mistake with the pronunciation of something because, mostly because, well, for two reasons. Because, firstly, Kira's all about authenticity and absolute truth and rawness. And so I thought, well, sure, she won't mind me not taking it out. 
And secondly, because that's what I'm all about as well. Authenticity and raw truth. And for my listeners, if you don't like the fact that I've made a mistake in the podcast and not edited it out, ah, send me a message and talk to me about why. And those of you who don't really care or couldn't give a flying, well, enjoy the podcast and have a giggle at my mistake that I made not once, but twice at the end with something that is as Irish as Irish could be. I give you my conversation with Kira Heenan. Whenever there's an opportunity to open people's minds to how it could be, I'm all in. So, Kira, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. How it could be? What's, what, how, how could it be? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the more open we are to what's available to us, the more excitement and the more joy and the more passion you can get out of something. And I'd like to counter what you read with this. You've heard the saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I've never disagreed with a statement so much in my life. And here's why. Okay. (laughs) Right. Very interesting. I love this. Yeah, because there's no such thing as a wrong room. That's the first thing to to take away. There's no such thing as a wrong room. You could be in a room filled with the most intensely addicted drug addicts who have the deepest sorrowful stories, who are still in the middle of what's going on for them. And you can learn something from that. You might not learn something positive in inverted commas, or you might, but you will learn a whole lot about yourself. You learn a whole lot about another person. You learn about the trials and tribulations that they went through. You learn just as much as you'd learn from being in a room with Richard Branson. You might not learn anything negative from him, but you still might. And you could learn a world of expansiveness. But if we limit ourselves to, I'm in the wrong room, I think that's ego. I think that's hugely egotistical. So when I talk about being open to whatever is available, I genuinely do mean to be open to whatever is available. You've got to take the limits away. You really have to take those limits away. And a lot of the quotes that we would hear and a lot of the phrases that we would have grown up on, I think they can be quite conditioned limiting beliefs. So it's really time for us to start thinking for ourselves, take away the limits and be open to what's possible. Mm. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. I heard the word learn a lot. And you make me think of something that I wrote in a post recently on LinkedIn. For me, some of the greatest lessons that I learned were how I wouldn't do things. So Mm -hmm. under direction of others in teaching environments. I'm looking at the gun. I'd never do that with a class. (laughs) Under the direction of managers and communication environments. That's not how I'd be communicating with somebody if I was in that position. So sometimes for me, the greatest lessons that we learn are the ones which weren't ever intended to be lessons. And I think I'd probably put myself in a room with a group of drug drug addicts, whatever they were experiencing, possibly more quickly than I might. Maybe not with Richard Branson. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't mind sharing a room with him for a little while. Uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. So opening up to possibilities to learning being available anywhere mm. and in any respect. Mm. So what's been one of the greatest lessons you've learned? I definitely have to say it's self first. Mm. Probably one of the biggest lessons. And I think I'll go out on a limb and say the most important lesson, because we spend our whole time as as people, as women, putting ourselves in the space where we should put other people first. So whether that's friends, family, kids, partners, whoever, right? 
And we get to the point at some point in our lives when we're absolutely knackered, we're wrecked, we're exhausted. We have no idea why. We can't put our finger on it because we haven't looked at ourselves. We're looking at all of these external factors. And when we do eventually come to a skidding halt and go, Jesus, I can't do any more. It is time to turn that reflection inwards and realize that the self first is really important and it's not selfish. And I really would love people to, to get over that concept. It's self-full. Put yourself first, learn about yourself first, figure yourself out first, communicate with yourself first so that you can be a better communicator outwards, so that you can have better relationships outwards. Your relationship with yourself is the most important and you have to get to know yourself first. And there are so many other lessons, but that's, for me, the biggest one, without a doubt. And I agree with you again completely on that one. Uh, for me, I push back a little bit on the whole negative connotation of selfishness. I remember my dad saying to me once years ago, but gift giving is selfish, Christine. And I had this whole argument with him about how gift giving was selfish. And so how could it be selfish, dad? Well, do you take pleasure in buying the gift for the person? Yeah. Do you take pleasure in giving the gift to the person and seeing how the person reacts to the gift you've given them? Yeah. Who are you thinking of most when you were buying the gift? Them. Are you sure? Maybe not. <laughs> so there's a selfishness in buying a gift. And once I got that around my head, then I started to hear a lot of people say, as, as you mentioned there, it's not selfish, it's self selfish, it's self-full. I love that self-full. But also, I argue there's nothing wrong with being selfish. I was just about to say it. Clicking <laughs> your fingers at me there in, in, a, in a click of agreement. <laughs> yeah, completely. Mm. There's nothing wrong. But again, it comes back to language, right? And yeah. what we've learned and been conditioned. Selfish is a bad thing. Who said? Who said that? Who decided based on their experience of something and they needed to put a word on it? They needed to, to languageize their experience. So they said, hey, we're going to use selfish. And that's going to work for how many of ever many years? What are we, 100 years, 50 years, 80 years? And we're still using that same word in a negative way. There's nothing wrong with being selfish. It's a bit like altruism. You know, does anyone do anything for the good of the other person only? Of course not. There is always a give and take, even if it's subconscious. You know, did you apologize to the person so that you were sorry? No, you did it because you're sorry and you want them to make sure that you know that you're sorry and you want their forgiveness. Did you ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness? It's the same the world over. There's something for us inside everything that we do. That's not a bad thing. It's just human nature. Yeah, yeah. It's the way of interaction, the give and the take, the giving and the receiving of things. Human nature. Mm -hmm. So originally, when I first started this podcast, it was about exploring the nature and nurture of communication. So you mentioned limiting beliefs a few minutes ago. And one one of these limiting beliefs that we're talking about here really is the idea that selfishness is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think if we think about communication through the ages and how things have been changing over the past maybe let's say five years? I'm not even <laughs> sure I can go further than that. Even as quickly as they've changed since COVID. There's a there's an evolution in the thinking patterns of women towards themselves. I think I think there is, but I think it's still quite on the surface. I think there are a group of women who have taken it to a very deep level. And I think those groups of women are worldwide. But I think that there is a surface idea of that it's we're tentatively looking at it we're tentatively experiencing what could be tentatively experiencing what human nature really is what our nature is the difference between um the human experience and the higher self experience and whatever anybody believes in whether it's power source god universe higher self any of those things or nothing but I still think it's quite surface. It's almost like a baby when they start to learn to walk. There's this, we're taking steps. And there's nothing wrong with that because it is what it is. But I think it's quite tentative. Mm -hmm. Are we doing it with the same freedom? 
as a baby that's learning to walk, do you think? No, I mean, there's no want and abandon in it. You know, a baby gets up and falls over and gets up and falls over and is fine with that process and looks like, you know, little drunk men or women when they're waddling around, falling all over the place, oh, you know? My niece. Yeah, yeah. My you nephew's know. learning to walk at the minute and my niece has just found her legs in the last few months so I can picture the two of them. <laughs> waddling around the place. We're a little bit more... Um, the word cagey is coming to my mind, but that's not the word I want to use. We're a little bit more reserved in our <clears throat> choice to move into these new spaces. It's almost like if I move into this space, am I going to be judged for it? If I if I choose to ask more questions and be more of me, am I going to be judged for it? And when you're talking about human nature, I think even that has changed so much. Back in the day, I just had a conversation with some women in here in the hotel and they were fabulous. They're like in their 70s and just great conversationalists talking about the difference between how it used to be at the stations where everyone talked about everything and there didn't seem to be that same level of judgment. There was a more of a community spirit and everyone was kind of left to their own devices, more or less. And now sometimes there can be that difference. There's a bit of a judgment. So I think rather than that wanton abandon of a baby getting up to walk, there's a hesitation to explore. It's there, it's being done, but it's on a very tentative level. Word judgment there is coming up a lot. I, I talked about standing up and sharing our stories and sharing ourselves in my TEDx talk about the fear of judgment. And it's very true and very real. The judgment is there. The impact of the sharing is there, despite the fact that we might stand strong in the face of the judgment. Mm -hmm. So you work with women, helping yep. them find their voices, helping them reconnect with themselves. What's one of the biggest blocks you see them having? at the beginning of their journeys? The if we can generalise. Yeah. Because <laughs> I yeah, know totally. I recognise that they're all unique, of course. Mm. But but it's an interesting question because for years and years, I asked myself that because I had such a variety of women that would come to me with different things. And I'd be sitting there thinking, what's the underlying theme that's going through this entire thing? And it's a feeling of not being good enough that the thing that they have to share, the thing that they have to say, they don't think anyone will want to hear it. And even that sentence gets said, like, who'd want to hear that? Who'd, who'd want to listen to me say that? And I find it really interesting because years and years ago, I was at a talk and a friend of mine did a piece and he did this um, full life audit. And he got everybody in the room to sit down with a pen and paper and do a full life audit. And the tears of pretty much everyone in the room flowed because as they rode through it, they realized all of the things that they had done in their lives. I'm talking from childhood all the way up to where they were sitting at the table. And he said the tiniest thing, the most insignificant thing, I want you to write it all down. And it was just bloods of tears all over the room. It was just a snot fest. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing because they all recognized that they had done so much more than they thought they had. So when you, I have women come to me and say, sure, I don't know who would want to listen to that. Sure, who would want to listen to my story? And then they tell me their story. And if only they knew that the people who need to hear them, like with a need to connect, they would open their mouths and they'd sing like canaries. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think started that sense of inadequacy oh there's so many things I mean I think it's very deeply ingrained into us and uh, a phrase that I hate I use that word very intentionally there's not many things that I hate right. is self-praise is no praise oh <laughs> so listeners you can't see my face <laughs> sorry for cutting across you but sometimes I listen back and I forget that 
we're on video and I have to remind people who are listening to the audio the yeah. discontent that Kira saw on my face in saying that self-praise is no praise uh, yeah okay I, I'm with you I don't want to stop you go for yeah. it so when you're brought up with that as a as a mantra mm. And it could be said in loads of different ways, right? That's just the saying, but it could be said in loads of different ways. It could be shown in loads of different ways. You can be put back in your box. You can be told, shh, be quiet. When you're asked, are you good at the tin whistle? And someone gives you the nudge so that you won't say, yeah, I'm really good. And then you go, oh, well, I'm all right, I suppose. Or I'm not sure. Not it's bad. The, I'm not bad. <laughs> you know, and the shrug of the shoulders. I can hold a tune. Yeah. I know I've like, used that one. Can you sing? I can hold a tune. <laughs> I can, I can kind of, you know, kind of. And it's that self-depreciation that we're taught as we grow up. Um, and that jokiness. And when we come back to the whole self-awareness piece, it's understanding that that jokiness and that self-depreciation and that sense of... Um, self-worth has been measured by so many other people for so long and diminished by so many other people for so long and I'm not saying any of those people were wrong because they didn't know any better they aren't here you know they're not they're not in this same headspace or heart space but that's where we've gotten to and it's been compounded by everything else that goes on in general life you know, you're you're with a group of friends and you put on something nice and the friends are like, you're not wearing that out, are you? And you're kind of going, geez, I thought I looked lovely. You're in a situation with a partner and you ask them, does my bum look fat in this? And they're like, uh, uh, no, you're in a situation where you're giving a talk and somebody's giggling in the room. There's there's all these ways where self-worth is diminished. And when we're not aware enough of ourselves to be strong enough in ourselves, it affects us because we're allowing it to because mm. we don't know any different. Yeah. And you're really touching the importance now of this mindset that somebody giggling in the room might be looking at their phone because they weren't particularly interested in coming to your talk. That it's nothing yeah. to do with you. But we hear that voice saying, oh, I'm not I'm not doing it properly. I'm not doing it well enough. Somebody's giggling at me. And the mind starts to go into that default network that we know from neuroscience now is that mm -hmm. inner voice monkey duck whatever you want to call it lots of people have different names for it the inner voice begins and we need to find the way to veto the mm. inner voice and silence it so what's the next step then for you as you help women along their journey to begin to recognize the voice and start to flip the script or change the script uh i had a great client once and <clears throat> This came from her, right? It came through our interaction together and she couldn't put her finger. So sometimes I work through archetypes and she couldn't put her finger on her archetypes. She just couldn't get in touch with them. So she's saying to me, Kira, but I don't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean this one? So we'll touch on the saboteur. So the saboteur archetype is that monkey mind, right? It's that, it's that inner voice that's like, it sounds reasonable. It sounds clever. It sounds like you've thought it through, but really it's just the sabotage saying to you, ha ha ha, just listen to me. I'm over here. It's very persuasive. And so I said to her, I think it's a really good idea that you start to put a name and a face on these archetypes. And so she did. And she came up with her lover, her warrior, her magician and her, um, I can't remember what the other one was now. And she actually chose characters for them one was um what's her name Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games I think that was her warrior I think there was uh, Mel Gibson was something else so it was great so it's that's the process it's to sit with each individual woman and even in a group scenario this is so simple to do and get them to visualize that voice get them to put a name to it get them to put a face to it and get them to understand that it's not leading the show unless they allow them Again, it comes back to self-awareness and personal responsibility and understanding that you're the person in charge of your life, not these voices, unless you give them the allowance to. Mm -hmm. And then reflection, reflection. So as these women are telling their stories and these stories are amazing and I'm saying, oh, my God, so you did this. And they're going, well, I mean, it wasn't that great. No, but it was because this is the outcome reflecting themselves back to themselves constantly, just allowing them to have these conversations and talk about themselves. That's the next step. Because often we don't even give ourselves the space to talk about ourselves. Never mind to celebrate ourselves, you know? 
or achievements? One of the hardest mm. questions that people have to answer, and I find particularly women, is what are you proud of achieving? Even just this week, what's the one thing that you're proud of achieving this week? Oh, well, you know, not it's not mm, proud of. Mm. And this block comes up, often related to a belief or a spiritual system that has trained them to believe that it's not okay to be proud of themselves. It's interesting you use the warrior term there. I would consider myself of very paganistic beliefs without labelling myself. I'm not a big fan of the label. And when we go back to Celtic warrior times, the woman was equally, if not more important, there was a fine balance between the woman and the man. And in terms of her status and her strength, she was fine to go and count her cows for those of you who are listening, I'm referring to Queen Maeve <laughs> and, and the Don Bokulian of Ireland, Irish descent. Well, Irish mythology, should we say. She'd no problem counting her cows and saying, I don't have the best one. I need the best one because my husband has something that's a bit better than mine. Mm-hmm. So we've had this shift over the years. And confidence is one of the key things that I work on with my clients as well. Men and women alike. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not just women, though. We have, as women, been conditioned much more deeply to to find it difficult to believe in ourselves. We've seen this shift begin to happen where it's becoming more okay to say, no, I don't want to do that, or I want to be single, or I don't want to have children, or I don't want to get married. How do you see this developing over the next five to ten years? I had a great conversation with a friend a while ago and we talked about the pendulum and I had never thought about it in this term. And we were talking about back in the time when being gay was the worst thing in the world you could be. Right. And the pendulum was way over here on the left hand side. And then we came all the way through to gay rights, equality, and suddenly it was completely fine. Right. And it swung back to the middle where now it's Everything's cool. Nobody's really talking about it very much. It's all good in the hood. You are who you are. You're doing what you're doing. Cool. Happy days. And when she explained this to me in that way, I was like, that's how everything happens in life. We go on these mad pendulums. We go left wing or whatever you want to call it all the way through to the other side. And then suddenly we settle back in the middle somewhere. Everybody kind of gets over it. Hallelujah. Here we are. Right. I think that's where we are. I think for a really long time as women, we were over here far, far, far over there on the pendulum. I think we're on the swing up to the other side. <laughs> I don't think we've hit the other side yet. I think we're on the way to to women power being much bigger than it actually is. And I think eventually it'll all settle back down in the middle where you'll be who you are and you'll voice how you feel and it'll be fine. It, it's amazing that we've never met <laughs> until like we've talked once or twice in a couple of different calls group calls and stuff but it's amazing that we've never met because I actually use pendulum I, I talk about it exactly like that or a seesaw where you we we swing completely to the manic side of one thing on and then we swing back and then we find a balance in the middle I, I, I wonder what I'd be thinking now is that there's a bit of cultural connection to that in Ireland, we might not have swung full, full swing yet. What's the what's the word that I should use? Swung full swing doesn't really full swing and do it. Very, <laughs> swung full swing. Oh, now I have something else in my head. Sure, I bet you do. <laughs> oh, we'll move on. <laughs> good plan. Good plan. <laughs> Segue full swing over the other side. So full swing. <laughs> Uh, there's a word though. Okay, full we, we, swing. Um, tipping point. Yeah. Well, but then do we tip? Because we tip back. But what, what I'm saying here is, years ago, like when we had the suffragettes, that we had we had women power and women pushing forward. So we came to a full swing of that generation, maybe, mm-hmm. and then that swung back. I think in America, the swing is much higher. Yeah. towards the power and the push side to that point of aggressive feminism, which mm-hmm. which doesn't really help anybody. 
And any aggressive feminists who are listening to this, if you want to come on and challenge me on that, you're more than welcome. Send me a message. But in Ireland, we may not have hit there yet. Do you think we will? Hmm. That's funny, actually, because you're you're 100% right. And I see exactly what you're saying, because, yes, the aggressive feminism, there is a movement of it. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to make a very generalized sweeping statement. So if anybody wants to, you know, shoot me in the comments, go for it, whatever. I'm not sure as Irish women. And OK, this is a whole because there's obviously going to be a certain groups that will be, be like this. But I'm not sure as Irish women we're ready to come out of our shells enough to go to that aggressive level. There are groups that will. There are women who absolutely will, who will go to that aggressive feminine, feminism stage and stand there, right? But for the most part, we're still a little bit behind the curve yeah. when it comes to really opening our mouths and saying what we feel and standing in that power and just saying, no, this is how I am. Yeah, it's funny that I pointed at myself there, but actually I don't agree with this aggressive feminism movement. Mm -hmm. I, for me, there's I had a, a, a big row with a woman probably two years ago now on LinkedIn, when I posted something under a post that was really strong from a feminine perspective. And I posted in about a balancing comment about men. And oh God, the DMs that I got off this woman, you can't stand up for men like that. This is what they've done for us over the years. She, she roared at me in reams of messages. And I could, I mean, I fight the patriarchy I talk about St. Patrick, I talk about the destruction of Ireland from the Catholic Church because of the patriarchy that came from it and the destruction of the woman from it. But it's not all men. Hmm. And yeah. so I don't see the point in us standing up and fighting against all men, because the reality is whether women like it or not, is that we need men hmm. to stand on our sides or by our sides and to to be there as the support when a woman says, no, that's not OK. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't accept that so yeah it's, it's interesting will we ever it's a hard one that one on women isn't it from Ireland because we're very famous Irish women for having sharp tongues mm -hmm. and for standing up for what we believe in but then yeah when it comes to that upsetting another person or hurting somebody's feelings mm -hmm. we do pull back and find ourselves having to be careful. I think that's that's the point, though. I think that's the thing, you know, the mm -hmm. idea of hurting somebody's feelings. Yeah. And going back to what you said there and adding it to that, you know, I think there is such a beautiful balance when you have a strong masculine and a strong feminine, a strong man and a strong woman. There's nothing wrong with either of those things, but they mean very different things than I think people realize you know, a strong, powerful man will be someone who will support you. And a strong, powerful woman gets to be really soft. That doesn't mean she's weak. It doesn't mean that she's less than. It means that she's allowing herself to be soft in her power, just as much as the man is allowing himself to be strong in his power. That doesn't mean he has to be all er, macho, grr, gorilla. It just means he's strong in his masculine power. And so when it comes to the idea of hurting people's feelings, I think a strong feminine woman in her power knows that she can't hurt anybody's feelings if she's just being truthful. And if I say something and it hurts your feelings, even if I say the most horrible thing to you, it's not about you, it's about me. I've said the thing, so I have the problem. You don't have the problem, but you might take it on. Mm. And, then, and then there's the piece in the middle of all of that where people get really angry when you talk about personal responsibility in that very, very strong way because they don't want to take personal responsibility. They don't want to look at themselves first. And I do think that that's where aggressive feminism stands. It's that desire to put it on someone else. And I'm not saying loads of things haven't happened. I'm not saying tons of things haven't come from the patriarchy. But there's no reason for us to bash all men <laughs> when it was a very interesting group of them that began this. And there are men who carry it through. Um, I think that personal responsibility is the most beautiful place to sit. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I agree with you completely there. Yeah. That whole, well, I can't make you feel anything. And when you say that back to someone, particularly if someone says to you, oh, I'm sorry if I made you feel like that. Oh, no, you can't make me feel anything. I'm responsible for my feelings. Yeah. Sort of look at you like, what? Oh, I never thought about that before. And it's equal for the man and the woman. If I can jump on what you said there about the man being strong and supportive, the man is equally as or it's it's equally as permissible for the man to be soft and gentle. And that doesn't mean he's weak. Hundred <laughs> percent. Any more than it means a woman is a bitch or abrasive or any of those other negative words that are put on top of them when they're aggressive or yeah. apparently aggressive when they're they're actually just being strong. Mm. And again, so, language, language. Mm. You, of course you can you can be a bitch. There might not be anything negative about that at all. You might own that title and it might mean powerful and and um someone who who takes charge that might be what that means to you so i think language plays a massive part in everything that we're talking about it's how you hear things what your conditioning has been what you've been taught to believe and then how do you untangle all of that and decide for yourself what do i believe what do i feel what's right for me what language do i use how do i be in the world how do i show up how do i communicate well that's exactly it you step back and you ask yourself those questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, what did that make me feel? What was that thought? Was that true? What was the truth? Mm. Mm. How am I looking at this? Mm. If I looked at Weird. this from this person's perspective, what, would it be different? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And then unpack that in whatever way it works for you. Journal it. Yeah. Light it on a piece of paper. Put it on the yeah. fridge, whatever way it works. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we went totally in a direction I didn't expect us to go, but I loved it. <laughs> and I think we're coming in and about the, the half an hour uh, mark here. But I want to just touch on before you go a couple of things. You've got a few books there that I was having a look at the titles of How to Homeschool. I was a distance education teacher to three children in the Australian Outback. <laughs> it was one of my, my very first... Well, after my speech and drama teaching jobs and, and a few other jobs, one of my first teaching jobs uh, outside of college. Yeah, it was really cool. Three brilliant children, three different education years, teaching them Queensland State Curriculum wow. from their homeschool. Very, very interesting. But what what took you to writing a homeschooling book? Uh, I started homeschooling my son when he was nine, took him out of school, decided I, I had no time, patience or energy for the school system and said that's it done and dusted I'm going to do this and so many things came up inside that Kira, how how are you going to teach your son first of all how dare you think that I can't <laughs> right and then I unpacked that and realized that people give their authority away I like to call it an abdication of authority they decide that somebody else is better than them and so they sit back and say well I couldn't possibly do that because I'm not clever enough well I'm very clever and I know that about myself so I'm going to be totally fine teaching my son Turns out I was right. So I started when he was nine. He's 16 this month. And we have homeschooled the entire way. And he is just unbelievable. The things that we do, the way that we do it. But most importantly is what's available to you when you come outside the system. Because you don't know what you don't know while you're in it. Right. The fact that you could do the German leaving cert in Ireland, if you wanted to, you can sit it the French leaving cert, the GCSEs. You don't have to have your junior cert. Uh, As I say this, I'm well aware now that if there's any teenagers listening to this, as their parents are listening to this, they'll go, hey, mom, did you hear her on the radio there saying that you didn't have to do your junior cert? So I'm mindful. But at the same time, it's really important to know that you can get into college without needing to do your junior cert and your leaving cert, that there are allowances made for children who are homeschooled. But the value and the richness that homeschooling gives a child is so powerful. And I read something the other day and it was talking about socialization of children. And, you know, when people come up to you and they say as a homeschooler, oh, do not worry about your kids socialization. And this article had it perfect. And they said, oh, interesting. So you're wanting the socialization of your child to be done in a system that actually makes them conform and in a space where other children potentially could bully them and in a place where they're taught things that they possibly wouldn't be taught at home in a way that, quote unquote, shouldn't be taught to them or doesn't need to be taught to them yet. And I thought that's very nice because as a homeschooler, Josh can go and he can do whatever he wants. 
he can spend time with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And his socialization is, I think, vastly improved. So I decided to write a book about it because why not? Because why not? Absolutely. And when you've, you've had that type of experience, mm. if there's somebody listening who who's considering it, I know a lot of women, actually not in Ireland, but in the UK, who've taken their kids out of the system and homeschooled. But if there's someone listening and, and they're thinking, oh, my kid's really not doing well at school. It's not they're not a peg, a round peg that the world is trying to jam into a square hole like has been done for so many people for how many years I can't say and they're worrying about that question oh what if I take them out and how are they going to make friends where are they going to meet people what are they going to do what would you say to them I'd say relax that's the first thing I'd say is take a breath and relax and it seems simplified but it's the truth just take a breath because number one your kids are going to find people to play with you're going to have them in activities that they possibly haven't been in before you're going to go on trips. You're going to find other homeschooling families in your locality. There's things being organized all over the world constantly and in small localities for homeschooling kids. And it's becoming a much bigger movement. There's more and more and more people going down that route, particularly in the last three years, which is very interesting to see. Um, and I do feel they fell short of the mark in 2020 when they didn't actually introduce a different type of system into the school system. That's a conversation for another day because it's a massive one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think I think take a breath, take a breath and contact somebody, ask questions, you know, and don't worry about what other people think, because you'll always get people who have opinions. That's the nature of the human. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at your kids and your kid isn't happy and you know what you feel inside is true, then ask the questions. I'll happily answer anybody's questions on homeschooling. So, and your links will be in the show notes. We've thrown out a few phrases here throughout the episode, and you make me think of one there when you talked about, interestingly, more and more people have moved towards during COVID or since COVID. Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm. And a lot of people got to realise that they were more intelligent, more capable, cleverer, smarter, equally as intelligent, capable or smart as they were yeah. before. And had the capacity to homeschool their children because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. So yeah. I, th I think that's definitely a big thing from it. And yeah, no, there's, there's lots of routes that we can go down now. We won't do that. <laughs> we, as you say, <laughs> save it for another episode. Yeah. Hold on um, to that one. <laughs> so we've had to, and you did, and then how to write a book. Yeah. Well, one that I mean, that's that's what I do. I, I write. I, I'm currently working on five different books at the minute. Um, I have a, a book collaboration coming out hopefully soon in the next week or two with seven other co-authors called The Mothership. And then I have five other books in the works myself. And so I write pretty fast and I write in a flow. And I've spoken to so many women who who, like we talked about earlier on, they're like, I'd love to write a, write a book. It's, it's a dream of mine, but I just don't know what I should say. And it's probably going to take a lot of time. I've written a book in seven days. I've written a book in three months. It's totally doable when you have the framework sorted. And I thought, sure, why wouldn't I throw that in a book as well? So that if somebody wants to go and write their book, they can buy that and write their book. Fair enough. Sure, why not? That seems to be your tagline. You need to make some shirts. <laughs> sure, why not? Sure, why not? <laughs> it's a favourite of mine as well. There's one more thing that you, you reminded me of when you were saying about the person who made the comment to you about when you were taking Josh out of school. When I was going to do my TEDx and I came back to Ireland, I'd been accepted and I was going to do it. And I was on a walk one day out in Black Rock where I was living in, in Loud. I met, I won't identify the person, obviously, but somebody that my mom knows and that mm -hmm. I then would know through my mom. Oh, you're standing chatting for a couple of minutes. And I said, I was going to do a TEDx. Oh, are you? What qualifies you to do that? And I'll never forget the question. What qualifies me to do that? Oh, man, it rang in my head. And I've been asked it in a similar vein a couple of times since. So anybody who's listening to this as a woman, who's heard Kira and I's conversation today, when someone says to you, what qualifies you to do that? My response is, I'm human. Yeah. And that's enough for me. What would you yeah. say to that? Oh, Jesus. I mean, what did I say to it? I think I just said, because I am. 
It was one of the it was one of those sentences my brother used to use all the time. He's 21 years older than me and I'd ask him a question and he'd be like, that's it's because it's because or that's be, that's the why or something like that. And it was like that was just an acceptable phrase to throw at someone to answer a question. And I feel like that's an acceptable phrase when somebody questions us because we don't actually owe anyone a big, long, highfalutin explanation. We really mm-hmm. don't. So if somebody asks you what's qualified or what qualifies you, I'd say because I decided that's what qualified me. There you are. There you are. Because I am, so I am. And that's yeah. the way it is. So it is. Sure, why not? <laughs> so many gorgeous phrases. Love it. Yeah. And they're 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 unique to the Irish now, those ones. I reckon they come from Gwelka, a couple of them. Well, so it is, and so I do definitely do. Yeah. Well, I forget what I, I was told by by Molly a couple of weeks ago about that one. Oh, okay. So I've done it again and gone over the half an hour mark that I said that I probably would try to stick to because <laughs> they start talking to people and it gets interesting. <laughs> Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would really like to share about today before we go? Oh, I think I think I would love to share this because. It's been coming up for the last six years and it runs through every vein of everything I do is no matter what you're doing or who you are, you can always connect with somebody. You can always be present in a space where you can be heard, you can be seen, you can be recognized. None of us need validation. Nobody needs anything from an external source. However, When you're in a beautiful space with people who do see you and do recognize you, they'll give you a validation that you didn't realize you needed, but you're never going to get that unless you connect. And we've gone from being super connected people way back when, before we were even a thought, to I think having to learn to reconnect as women, once again, women with no judgment, women with no agenda, women with no desire to put each other down or belittle each other diminish each other, find those spaces of connection where you will be exalted and risen up and lifted and where you'll do the same thing for others and you'll feel the validation in your bones. I think that's what I'd like to to, to say to people. I love that. So the last question is, and a question which I ask everybody, as you know, the title of the podcast is Connected to Communication. What does connected communication mean to you? Beautiful question. And it actually came up in the summit the other day. I was going back and forth with the speakers in the group, in the private group. And I was explaining something. One woman had come in and she had said that she didn't want to do something that I had suggested they all did. And I was so full of emotion when she said it. And so I decided to lead in that moment. And I said to all of the women, I want you to pay attention to what that woman just said. She told me where her boundary was. She said she didn't want to do the thing that I had asked her to do. And I have absolutely no problem in the world with that because she chose for herself. And I want you all to be really aware that open communication and connected communication is where you get to voice how you feel. And I get to hear you in that moment and we get to connect in the middle. And when that happens, it is probably one of the most beautiful things in the world because everyone gets to be who they are and nobody gets offended nobody gets annoyed nobody gets pissed off it just is what it is so for me that's what connected communication is thank you and a beautiful example to share as well the summit that kira mentions was the women's health summit the very first women's health summit held this year i'm guessing there'll be another one next year so (laughs) We can stick a link into the show notes as well for that if anybody is interested in following that. Women's health is health as important as mental health and not Mm -hmm. to be left on the sidelines by us or by anybody else. 100%. Ah, thank you so much. It's been fantastic chatting to you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your bubbly joy. It's a real lightness that I... I have thoroughly enjoyed sharing and I think probably needed a little bit this evening. So it's very nice. And on Halloween night as well. (laughs) I know. How cool are we? Very paganistic doing this on all Halloween, isn't it? (laughs) Well, so I won't go into that now, but technically Halloween 
the thirty first Halloween has nothing to do with the pagans and and those yeah. actual true spiritual beliefs. Samhain is next week on the seventh. Interesting the time for for the celebrations of the harvest. I was reading a guy the other day who puts up this every year. A lot of people talk about it in different ways around it, of course. But uh, the yeah, the thirty first and the first of November were made. They came from the church. Church brought wow. them around in from a celebration in May that actually then was brought around into the 31st of, of October. And then, of course, the Halloween idea came from the Jack-o'-lanterns and the Americans then took that. There's actually a really good podcast from Blind Boy podcast episode Okay, about pumpkin spice. Do you know the pumpkin spice lattes? Yeah. I love the way this guy's mind works. I mean, seriously. Ah, he's brilliant. I do. I, I, like someone said that they, they have an affair with my voice when they listen to it. I think I'm the same when I'm listening to him. But uh, he's brilliant and he's so witty. He he explored this all these connections with pumpkin spice and went back to the pilgrims and, and South America and how this pumpkin spice came about. It's really fascinating. You should listen to, to it. Find it. Yeah. As strange and random as that might sound. But yeah, we went off on another tangent then. Someday when we meet, we're going to need a good number of hours, I reckon. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I can't wait for that day. It's going to be amazing. Likewise. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. Okay. Sounds you like can. It's no problem. Mayo is one of my <laughs> most favorite counties in Ireland. So I have no problem coming there either. It's amazing. The home of my heart. <laughs> well, listeners, that has been Kira Hennigan. Hennigan is the correct pronunciation. Is this? Heenan. I never checked that. Heenan. Jesus. Yeah. Sorry about that now. Okay. I'm well, totally forgiven. Well, ladies and gentlemen and gender neutral listeners, that was Kira Hen. 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 Yeah. Why was there a he there? Why did I not know that? Hen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going into a mind <laughs> thinking of that. Why does it pronounced like that? Where does that come from? Last time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, listeners, that has been Kira Heenan and her wonderful, beautiful, bubbly self of the Women's Health Summit, a communication coach for women who helps them to find their self-awareness and connect with themselves in a way that they may not have permitted themselves to do for a long, long time. I love their conversation. If you have loved it too, or if you've absolutely detested it and you want to give out to us, please get in touch. Let us know how you feel. Rate the podcast, review it, share with those who you believe it might help or you think it could support. And as always, come back next time. Good day on Kid Orella. Banati. I was pleased.